Charismatic, passionate, has integrity, humble, servant, faithful, inspiring, persevering, positive, flexible, driven. This is who we are that call ourselves leaders. Helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Now, here is your host, Ken Coleman. Coming to you from the Music City, this is the podcast of leaders, by leaders, and for leaders. I'm Ken Colbert, thrilled to be talking with you today. Our feature conversation, what a treat this is, folks. Mike Rowe, you know him as host of Dirty Jobs, producer and voice of shows like Deadliest Catch. He's got a new show on CNN called Somebody's Gotta Do It. And the team here at Entree Leadership uh, chased him down for months. We've been going after this interview. I couldn't tell you folks about it, but the conversation recently took place. And I will tell you, no holds barred, one of the most enjoyable interviews I've ever done in my life. And I've done some great ones. Very insightful interviews with people I didn't belong in the room with. And I will tell you, this is top five. That's how excited I am about this conversation. Hey, I want to also make sure that you know, as you're listening in, wherever you listen to us, because we know that this is on-demand content for you, uh, we want you to tweet us, at Entree Leadership, uh, my personal Twitter handle, at Ken Coleman. Of course, email us. We are loving getting your emails. Eric, the producer, collects these emails, and you can do that. Podcast cast at entreleadership.com. Now, I got to tell you, this conversation with Mike centers almost exclusively around the idea of work and that work is honorable and that opportunity is there for so many people and they don't realize it. And after the conversation was over, I was reminded of something that Thomas Edison once said. I want to share this with you. Many of you have heard this quote before. Edison once said, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Now, this conversation is going to be really refreshing for many of you entrepreneurs, people like you men and women. It is you that the economy is fueled by. It is you who understands dreams and failure. And when you hear this conversation, I think there is opportunity for men and women like you who realize that there are jobs that need to be filled and give opportunity to people who may not have ever seen it before. This is really fascinating stuff. If we look at America and our economy in 2014, and this isn't political, this is just straight-up economics, you're going to be really fascinated by this conversation with Mike Rowe. So let's get right to it. This is my conversation with Mike Rowe. Well, Mike, it's great to hang out with you, and uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, before we dive deeper into the conversation, tell us a little bit about the new show on CNN, Somebody's Gotta Do It. I love that title. Thanks. Uh, I think uh, the show pretty much lives up to it. Uh, like the show before, Dirty Jobs, it's a look at real people who do real things in real life. We're not so focused on the... Uh, the dirty elements this time around. It's really more about people who wake up a little agitated because the world's not exactly the way they think it ought to be. People who are driven to to do a thing. Sometimes it borders on obsession, but mostly we're talking about entrepreneurs and innovators and bloody do-gooders and uh, people who march to the beat of a drum that only they can hear. That's why I love this particular show. I love Dirty Jobs as well, but to an audience on a podcast titled Entree Leadership, as we talk about leadership and entrepreneurs. I mean, sure. this title is so great, Mike, because the leaders listening into our conversation today, they know that they're the men and women who, when no one else will do it or wants to do it or even notices that it needs to be done, they do it 
because someone has to do it, and it's usually the leader. As you had a great career of giving us behind the scenes of these great stories of men and women and entrepreneurs, what what is that unique quality that leaders have that they realize somebody's got to do it, and despite all the circumstances, they just say, I'm going to get it done. What What is that unique quality? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think, and I've asked it a lot, and the jury's kind of split. Some people will tell me it is the product of exploring every single other alternative mm. and going down every single other road and being left ultimately uh, with what's remaining. And that, for them, is the only sensible course of action. Um, I wouldn't necessarily qualify myself as a leader or a thought leader per se, but I will tell you that in my own career, that's the path I took. I tried everything and wound up in television as a weird sort of default, and uh, I got congruent uh, in my own way pretty late in my career. But the other answer really is the more interesting one, and that's people who just know. They just know from the jump who they are, what they want to do, the mark they want to leave, and the way they want to do it. And it's a very tricky business to try and quantify it too much further than that or put people in too much of a predictable box because they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. My granddad, who really was the inspiration for both jobs and somebody's got to do it, only went to the eighth grade. But he had a chip or something in the back of his brain that allowed him to somehow know how to build a house without a blueprint. And he... He knew that from the beginning, and he dedicated his life to playing the cards that he got as best he could. And so finding those people, spending a day with them, and doing a TV show in a slightly unusual way, that's the point of the program, and uh, that's why I've been doing it for 10 years. You know, Mike, you talk about your grandfather and the men and women that have the same spirit that your grandfather had, and, and, and you really had it too. You mentioned it too in the first part of your answer there. And I want to stay here for a moment because you've talked about uh, the idea that, you know, you got to try things. And, and, and your grandfather wasn't afraid to try to build a house. They knew that there was going to be failure involved. And uh, that's a spirit that some people come by naturally, but I also believe it can be developed. Talk about this idea of stepping into the unknown and, and being okay uh, to fail. Well, you know, it's been said by a lot of people, a lot smarter than me, but I honestly don't know. I can't imagine a more boring existence mm. than one without failure in it. And, you know, before Dirty Jobs, I probably had 300 different gigs in the entertainment field, and I got fired from most of them. And I had a great time every time because, for me, it was all in the approach. You know, I really loved the idea of freelancing. Uh, again, not a new idea, but one that's fallen out of favor in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Most entrepreneurs, though, get it, and most tradesmen get it. And if you approach your career, whether you're an accountant or whether you're a carpenter or whether you're a guy impersonating a host in Hollywood, if you approach your career with the mindset of a tradesman, you're always going to be prepared for the end, because careers are these things we think about in terms of 30, 40 years, legacy, life's work. 
most people, certainly most kids, that they can't get their head around that. They want to think about the next job. They want to think about the next task. And if you dedicate yourself to being excellent at the next task uh, and you actually execute on it, from what I've seen, good things follow. Unpredictable things, mm. but good things. You know, the uh, tagline of somebody's got to do it is a, it's about a show about passion and purpose, two of my favorite words, discussions that we have quite often on this podcast. And I saw a quote that was attributed to you. Uh, you never know these days if it was actually said by you, but I'll throw it at you. But I loved what it said. It said, good jobs look a lot like kids playing and adults working. Did you I say might have said that. It, to explain that, because I love what you're saying there, but I want you to unpack that. Well, it came out of a slightly uh, larger uh, notion. I was doing a show called, I think we called it Dirty Platitudes, where I was taking um, a playful jab at a lot of the bromides that we see hanging in corporate offices and boardrooms nowadays, things that talk about teamwork and determination and, and passion and how, you know, a lot of these things can sometimes get rolled up into something that is presented as a one-size-fits-all platitude. So, for instance, when people say, always follow your passion and you're going to turn out just fine, I bristle at that mm -hmm. because I don't think that truly bears out. It's not to say that I don't think passion is important. I think it's critical. In fact, I think it's too important to follow. I think it's a thing you should bring with you all the time, but should not be led by. What really came out of that special and out of that topic was a new platitude that said, never follow your passion, but always bring it with you. Mm. And to make the point, I remember, I don't remember who I was talking to, but I said, look, if you, if you really want to get your head around what I'm trying to articulate, look at the first episode of American Idol every single year. It's always the same thing. Thousands of people show up absolutely convinced that they will be the next American Idol. And these are kids who, by and large, have been told right from the jump that they've got what it takes and they're passionate about doing this thing. What's extraordinary to me isn't the fact that so many won't make it. It's that so many will go up in flames in such a spectacular way. <laughs> That's right. They, they had no idea, Ken. They had no idea that they couldn't sing. That's right. They've been lied They're 18, to. 18, 19, 20 years old. No one ever told them that their passion for a thing doesn't necessarily line up with their ability. Oh, that's so spot on. I mean, listen, I, I'm passionate about the game of basketball, Mike, but I'm a five foot nine white guy who can't jump over paper. So Stay if I tried court, to, man. You're yeah, not going to have a good time. That's right. I mean, if I tried to feed my family, well, no, I can go out and play with my buddies on the weekend, and and, sure. and I can suck spectacularly and still sort of enjoy myself. But if I try to make a living at pro basketball, my kids are going to starve. I, I think this is a great distinction here. I talk about this all the time. I had a mentor when I was in my early twenties, Mike, tell me that the sweet spot in life is the intersection of your greatest strength and your greatest passion and i love how you're really drawing this out for us that our passion comes with us but it is our great strength that we've got to mine into and and to that and let me ask you i think it'd be fun to hear what what would you define because uh, you're very very talented and as a result you've been successful but what would you define as your greatest strength i think uh i would guess 
ultimately in TV anyway, and since that's where I spend most of my time, it's, uh, it's in the willingness to look for and take the reverse commute. Mm-hmm. And look, I don't, I mean, I honestly don't think I'm, I'm smart enough to walk in a room and look around and figure out the best way to accomplish a thing. But the thing I learned on Dirty Jobs with respect to vocation is that a lot of the people I met who were really happy and really balanced and really joyful in their work didn't get to their current career by following their passion. They got there because they looked around to see where everybody else was going and they just instinctively went the other way. That's good. And and look, that's I mean, that's a tough lesson today because look, <laughs> we want to encourage people, right? We want to say things that make people feel good and congruent and hopeful and give them the guts to try a hard thing. But like anything else, you can overpackage and oversell the best of intentions. And in a world where everybody gets a trophy and where great recognition is attributed to people for merely participating. That's right. We can create, you know, an amazingly uh, unrealistic expectation for kids who suddenly find themselves out in the world. Never mind being five nine, you know, trying to guard six <laughs> foot four right. forward, you know, on the basketball court. Never mind that. How about the twenty two year old kid? who gets out of William and Mary with a double major in political science and Mideastern studies and suddenly realizes he's 110 grand in the hole mm-hmm. and they're just nothing in the classifieds that's for right. experts in his field of study. You know, that's, that's the reality of what's happening right now, in my view, and the big lesson from Dirty Jobs. You, we just lost that mix of practicality. It's no secret... You've got three and a half million jobs right now that are open. Seventy-some percent of them don't require a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. But we're still telling kids with a lot of passion that the best path for the most people is this one specific form of academic pursuit. And we are leaving apprenticeships and training programs and all kinds of other practicality on the table. And not to mention... We're not helping kids understand what their great strength is and how it marries up with their great passion. So to your point, we're not filling practical jobs, but we're also sending people into the real world completely lost and confused. And that's what you described that happens on American Idol. Uh, The first time the judge tells them they can't sing, they're distraught because they've been lied to their whole life. I mean, that's what's really happening. Yeah, know, the shrinks call it uh, cognitive dissonance, right? right? You know, right. And I think my dad just calls it reality. Every now and then it rears up and smacks you in the head. Well, we have this huge outbreak of reality deprivation syndrome. I made that up, Mike. You can use that because you have a lot more people watching. RDS. RDS, that's what it is. Uh, but you know this too, Mike. You've seen the shot, the camera shot, when the kid is walking off, and sometimes it's a 23-year-old kid, and you see in the background the parents skulking in the background in complete shame as the kid melts down on camera because they've now been outed as the liar. You know what I mean? Exactly. Worse than the liar, Ken, the enabler. Oh, yeah, you're right about that. You're right. That's another step of evil, you know? Yeah. Look, lies are easy. You know, lies are, you know, it's either true or it's false. But that that gentle, constant drip, the siren (laughs) song of enabling, that's the thing. Like, 
like an onion, one layer at a time, yep. you are suddenly out there. You're Don Quixote. You're okay. on a swayback steed and a rusty spear wrapped up in cheap armor, absolutely convinced you can knock that windmill down. <laughs> That's so true. You know? Oh. I mean, look, there's something, there's something very, very noble in the quest. Mm-hmm. You know, something very noble in the mission. Mm. But it's, it shouldn't be a bad thing to say that, you know, <laughs> futility uh, is really not so different than success if you unpack it and just look only at the, uh, at the various component parts of it. Mm. You know, you, you need to execute and you, right. and you need to be practical in your approach. Otherwise, they're going to write a musical about you and um, you're going to fall off your pony. That's right. This is so good. And uh, to that end, I want to uh, move towards the TED Talk that you gave and uh, for our audience, just a quick note, you can just simply search this uh, on YouTube or to the TED app or wherever. Uh, but you, the theme of the talk was changing the face of the modern proletariat, uh, <laughs> which I love. For those of you who haven't used that word since the fourth grade uh, or maybe sixth grade, proletariat would be uh, your workers. And um, I love this because you've also talked a lot about this fact, and I think it's true. This is not a political statement. I think it's an actual contextual fact that it is kind of a dirty word to talk about work and people who work hard and do well at work. Um, so give us a summary, if you could, and what you did in that TED Talk, what you shared with that audience. Well, the short version is, I think, around 2008, uh, when Dirty Jobs was at its absolute height and we were teetering uh, headlong into the recession, um, I noticed a couple of different narratives going on in the country. The first was in the headlines and every newspaper I picked up and I'm sure everyone that you'll recall used words like uh, unemployment, uh, devastation. I mean, we got it. A lot of people were out of work and it was a bad, bad deal. What I saw on dirty jobs was very strange. Everywhere I went, I saw help wanted signs Mm. everywhere. And every employer I spoke with talked mostly about the difficulty of finding people who were willing to learn a new skill, master uh, a trade, something that's actually in demand, show up early, stay late, reinvent themselves. It, it wasn't just grousing. I, I did 300 jobs. I worked in all 50 states, and I'm telling you, Ken, I, I just heard it like clockwork everywhere I went. So in 2008, I set up a, a modest foundation and thought it would be decent to try and give something back to the industries that, that allow dirty jobs to prosper. And uh, toward that end, I wanted to, to talk in broad terms about a PR campaign for hard work and skilled labor, um, some kind of consistent positive messaging around the idea of alternative education, um, not as opposed to higher education, but I was really trying to position those two things as two sides of the same coin. And um, on top of it, uh, a very simple uh, work ethic scholarship program where we would look specifically for kids, uh, try and measure to the extent that we were able their work ethic. Most scholarships are built on academic achievement or talent or athleticism or need-based qualifications. We wanted to reward work ethic. Mm. So... That was basically it, a PR campaign for hard work and skilled labor, alternative education, and work ethic scholarships. 
And I presented all of it more or less in the context of society has waged a kind of cold war, an unconscious one, on those very things. So I just talked about the things that happen that I see culturally that quietly demean and disparage the traditional notions of work. I pointed out the best-selling book at the time. It was called The Four-Hour Workweek. Mm -hmm. Ironically, the author spoke right after I did, which was a little weird, but... I was making the point that said, look, you know, these are the kind of books we're buying. This is the sentiment that we're valuing. The four-hour work week says you can be happy working just four hours a week. And if you're unhappy, the odds are good that the proximate cause of your unhappiness is the fact that you're being forced to work more than you want. That's a really dangerous message. Mm -hmm. And over generations, it grows exponentially. And... Combined that with everything from $1.1 trillion in college loans to a widening skills gap with a crumbling infrastructure and all kinds of offshore manufacturing challenges, it basically led me to my conclusion, which simply was this. We're lending money we don't have to kids who can't pay it back in order to educate them for jobs that no longer exist. We ought to stop doing that. Yeah. And, uh Somehow I found a way to say that in 20 minutes uh, through the lens of lamb castration, which was a dirty job that got a lot of press, and the pet people liked it, so... Yeah, it's wonderful. And and I want to really recommend that that you men and women leaders, people that are creating jobs, go watch the talk. Uh, it really, really is important information. And, and I want to kind of stay here because this is a, such a perfect lead-in to something you said earlier in our conversation, which is just that... You know, we've got this huge amount of jobs that need to be filled. You just said it a moment ago as you went around on the 300 jobs that you did and you saw just help wanted signs everywhere. And it seems to me, Mike, that there is a huge opportunity for an entrepreneur to come out there and go, no, wait a second. We've got all these people who need jobs to be filled and and we've got this big gap. And it seems to me that there might be a great business opportunity uh, somehow, some way to try to find a way to communicate that these jobs are great or that you could do quite well at them. It, it, do you th- do you see that being the case? Isn't this a huge opportunity? Is it a communication issue? Well, I do think it's a huge opportunity. You know, uh, I hadn't thought of it uh, instinctively as a huge opportunity for uh, an entrepreneur. I thought of it more as a huge opportunity for a person who was willing to yeah do the job, wish him or herself. Yeah by basically hitting the reset button. I mean, you're right. There's absolutely a ton of opportunities for leaders and entrepreneurs, but in this space, in my opinion, uh, it all begins and ends with people who are willing to to do a do-over. That's right. That's really what has to happen, and there's never been a better time to consider it because the opportunities that exist right now in the skilled trades uh, simply aren't getting any press. I mean, uh, a lot of people have heard what's going on in North Dakota, but I don't think people get it. Right. Oh, my foundation has sent dozens of people up there with welding certifications who are now making 80, 90, six figures a year in their second year. Um, Many go far beyond that. The real thing about entrepreneurship and the trades, which I believe is a profound disconnect, 
is the fact that so infrequently do you hear people talk about learning a trade as a path to entrepreneurship. But it most certainly is. You know, on dirty jobs, <laughs> people are always surprised when I say that there were 40 or 50 different people that we profiled who were multimillionaires. Mm -hmm. People's jaws drop. Yeah. They had no idea that the guy in the septic tank or the guy in the skull cleaning facility or you just go down the list, the guys who retrieve golf balls who are driven into water hazards, they had no idea that those people were prospering. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to start a business based on the willingness to learn a trade, that to me is one of the pathways that people need to talk more uh, specifically and convincingly about. Mm. I think there's a huge opportunity for uh, someone to reset or someone to get involved on a trade and then build a business. Like you said, and you're, you're, you're spelunking golf balls and you're a multimillionaire, you know, because somebody's got to do it. I mean, there's a great theme here. And before I let you go, if I could put you on the spot to share one thought from your heart or maybe your head or maybe both to the men and women leaders and entrepreneurs, maybe students. We have people of so many different ages and race and, and different backgrounds who listen to this podcast because they feel that there's something they could do and there's something they should do. And so I want you to encourage their heart, Mike. There's a place between encouragement and challenge that is hard to get to but important to find and different for virtually everyone. It's very hard to articulate it, but the closest I can come is to look at two different phrases that I know your viewers are familiar with. When the Army recruits, they say, be all you can be. And that's nice. It's aspirational, and it's all-inclusive. When the Marines recruit, they say, we're looking for a few good men. The few, the proud not even a few good men anymore. It's just the few, the proud. That's a challenge. And I would just say that for me, there are times in my life when I need to hear somebody say, look, you can be all you can be. And there are times when I need to hear someone say, you know something? This probably isn't for you. This probably is a little beyond you. If they're right, they're right. But if they're wrong, it's a challenge and I can respond to it. And I'll leave you with this. There's another show I work on called Deadliest Catch. It's mm. about crab fishing in the Bering Sea. Yeah. And it's the toughest job in the world. People get hurt every year. Some people prosper. Some people go bust. And the job of the crab boat captain, in part, is to recruit and inspire people to work for him. And <laughs> most people shake their head in amazement at how difficult the work is. And yet, every year in Dutch Harbor, Alaska, the lines on the docks get longer and longer. And it's not because people are desperate to do that job. It's because they've been challenged. It's because they want to take the measure of themselves. Mm. It's because for them, they heard the right thing at the right time and just decided, look, I'm going to give it a shot. So that's just a long, sloppy way of saying be very careful of platitudes, one-size-fits-all bromides. You've got to do a gut check with yourself pretty much 
hopefully a little bit of both. Because in the end, that's the only time the needle really moves. Mm. It is my sincere belief, folks, that the best food is sloppy food. And Mike just said that was a sloppy answer. And if it was, in fact, sloppy, it was equally good. That was absolutely fantastic. What a challenge for us men and women as we do work that matters. Mike, i got to tell you, I'm a fan of who you are. I know I don't know you. This has been a privilege to have a conversation with you. But I know that I speak on behalf of our entire audience that we're fans of how you do what you do, the stories that you're telling, and we want to support you to continue to tell those stories. Make sure, folks, you check out his foundation, Mike Rowe Works. And, of course, you can follow him, MikeRowe.com. He's also on Twitter, the real Mike Rowe. And so uh, just to be a part of what he's doing, you can check out the show, Somebody's Gotta Do It. What an incredible name that is. That ought to be a book title as well, Mike. Uh, I'm working on it. I, I figured you were. Somebody's Gotta Do It on CNN Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock. Mike, again, thank you very much for being with us. Just so there's no mystery, if you invite me again, the answer is uh, yes, anytime. All right, he is Mike Rowe. And again, if you want to follow more about what he's doing, MikeRowe.com. That's R-O-W-E.com. And also, Eric, our producer, pulled a couple of extra questions from the conversation. And he's going to make this available at EntreeLeadership.com slash podcast. Just click on Mike Rowe. Two specific questions that we're making available to you as bonus content. The first was, what is Mike's passion? What is he most passionate about? I think you'll enjoy that answer. And then, I love what he's doing to give back. And he has a great foundation. He'll tell you a little bit more about that. I think this is valuable stuff, and I think it will strike a chord with some of you, and hopefully you can get involved to help him out there. So make sure you check it out, entreleadership.com slash podcast. Click on Mike Rowe for the bonus content. Hey, folks, as always, if you're looking to go deeper, you're looking to make a big decision in your business, and you think, well, I may need to hire some outside help, something along those lines, we would ask you to wait before you spend all that money and consider All Access. This is our online coaching resource. Check it out. Great program and great community to help you out. Also, don't forget, brand new event, entreleadership.com slash summit. That's the Entree Leadership Summit with John Maxwell, Dave Ramsey, Pat Lencioni, Henry Cloud, Rabbi Daniel Appen, and on and on the list goes. Of course, a part of that list, Christy Wright and Chris Hogan from our team. It's going to be a great event coming up this spring in San Diego, entreleadership.com slash summit to learn more about it. It's going to sell out, already moving quickly towards that goal, and so we'd love to see you there. Well, folks, that is going to do it for this edition of the Entree Leadership Podcast. On behalf of our producer, Eric Anthony, and the entire Entree Leadership team, Thank you for listening. We will talk with you again very soon.